Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Well, it is an honor for me to be with you tonight. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And we are going to uh, start with verse 1. I will be reading out of the New Living Translation. I do that because I worked in children's ministry for five years. I used to have hair, and that's why I don't have it anymore, uh, working with the kids. Genesis 22, uh, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place from a distance. Stay here, he says in verse 5, with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Verse 6 says, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now, let me skip down to verse 9, and we'll read three more verses. Uh, When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel answered, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject, I want that. I want that. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now, just look them in the eye and say, I want that. I want that. Why don't you turn to your other neighbor who you obviously don't like as much and, and say to them, I guess I want that too. I, I guess, I guess I want that too. I want that. Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray in these next few moments that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. I pray that you would open our hearts to respond to your word. And I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you are speaking to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I grew up uh, down south in Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, my, my father uh, was a good dad, very supportive, great provider, uh, not very involved spiritually. My mother uh, was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. She, she was the one that really called the, the prayer meetings in our home. She was the one that would read the Bible stories to my siblings and I. She was the one that really taught us how to worship. 
In fact, my mother was the worship leader in the charismatic church that I grew up in. I remember uh, one day my mother was playing the piano uh, in front of the congregation, and she said something I will never forget. As she's playing the piano, I hear her say out of her mouth into the microphone, Jelani, don't you want to dance before the Lord? Excuse me? What? I'm a teenager at this time. No, I don't want to dance before the Lord. Uh, But I remember doing an interpretive dance before Jesus, and I wanted him to rapture me in that moment. Um, but, But she was the one that taught us how to worship. She was the one that introduced me to preachers and pastors and teachers. I remember listening to a guy by the name of Jesse Duplantis. He's from down south Louisiana, and uh, of course, he's, he's Cajun. I don't know any biblical principles he taught, but he was funny, and so loved him. And then, of course, I, I remember listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes, and uh, I always wanted to sound like him because he has, you know, just this baritone voice, and, and so I would try to preach like Bishop T.D. Jakes, but I didn't sound like him. I sounded more like Carlton from Fresh Prince. It was was depressing, uh, but I remember him. And then there was this pastor named Joseph Garlington. And I only that I recall heard one message by Joseph Garlington, but this one message had a tremendous impact on my life. You see, there was, a, there was a principle that Joseph Garlington introduced that I have never forgotten. I believe it's been almost 20 years. You see, he talked about the moment where where you and I have experienced this before. Maybe it's right after salvation. Maybe we are basking in the presence of God, or, or maybe we're just at a tipping point, and we say something like this to God. God, you can have everything. God, God, here's my life, Lord. Here's all of my stuff. Just, just take it all. And we mean it. We're sincere. We want God to just take everything. And our thought is that God is going to show up with a bulldozer. And he is going to drive along, scoop up all of our stuff and take it away. The problem is God doesn't show up with a bulldozer. He doesn't show up with any heavy artillery. He actually shows up with a pair of tweezers. And and he goes right up to the pile of stuff that we've said, God, this is all yours. And he takes his tweezers and he starts to pick through it. I don't want that. And I don't want that. And I don't want that. And he makes his way down to the very bottom of the pile and he picks out the one thing that you and I want most. And he says, I want that. Our our rebuttal in that moment is this. Well, well, God, why don't you want all the other stuff? God says, I don't want anything you don't want. I want that. What do you do? When God says in your life, I want that. I want that relationship. I want that gift. I want that dream. What do you do when what is most valuable to you all of a sudden makes its way to God's most wanted list? What do you do when God says, I want that? You see, when we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22, the patriarch Abraham finds himself in that very predicament. He is well over 100 years old at the time, and he is enjoying his his life with his son 
Isaac. Isaac, remember, is the son of promise. He, he is the future for Abraham. He is the one that Abraham has waited for 25 years for. And all of a sudden, Abraham, in this peaceful, prosperous moment, God decides to interrupt this utopian experience with a pop quiz, a test. How many of you are, are good test takers? Like, you don't have to study much, but you're really good at taking tests. I don't like you at all, <laughs> just, just for the record. God shows up. He talks to Abraham. He says, I've, I've got a test for you. I've got a test for you. Now, now there's something you need to understand. I, I, I think when you look at Scripture, you will notice that the word test and the word tempt and the word prove are sometimes used interchangeably. But I believe there's a delineation that we need to understand today. You see, when, when we talk about a temptation, temptation generally speaks of a alluring to sin. It, it speaks to a pulling towards evil. In fact, that's why James says in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, when, when we are tempted, we're not to say that we are tempted by God because God is not tempted by evil says that, that when you're tempted, you are drawn away by your own evil desire. And so temptation really is this, this pulling towards evil. A testing, on the other hand, is really a proving towards entrustment. It, it is God saying, I want to prove that you are ready to be entrusted with more. I mean, you, you, you think about it, any, any teacher worth their salt, they don't give you a test to see you fail. They give you a test to prove that you're ready to go to the next grade. And so God shows up and says, Abraham, I've got a test for you. I want to prove that you're ready to be entrusted with more. I just want to pause for a moment and tell some of you today that you are in a test but it's not punitive, it's not punishment. It is actually God saying, listen, I want to prove. I want to prove something. I, I, I want to entrust you with more, and this is simply part of the process. I've come to test you. And so he, he tests Abraham, and what is this test? He says, he says to Abraham, um, I want you to take your son, uh-huh, your only son, uh-huh, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, it's disturbing to me. Like, I, I'm like, really? Excuse me? I mean, I, I would prefer the text say, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and take him on a safari. That, that to me sounds adventurous and fun. That, that, that sounds like the Jesus I know. Or, or Abraham, I, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to take him to the sandy beaches of Hawaii. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, I'll do that. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to take him, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. That, 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 that basically means that God's saying, I want you to kill him and cook him Cajun style. You know, that, that, that's what he says. And, and this, this request to me is unnerving. I mean, when you start to think about all the pieces involved in this, I mean, just consider this first of all. He, he says, 
I want you to sacrifice him. Now, I don't mean to be vulgar or share too much, but just to remind you what they did with animal sacrifices, they cut their throat, they cut them into pieces, and they set them on fire. He says, do that to your son. I don't know about you, but that sounds like cruelty to me. That's a cruel request. Not only is it a cruel request, though, but, but, but earlier in Genesis chapter 9, God actually tells Noah, he says, listen, um, if a man kills another man, his life should be taken too. Because man is made in my image. And so not only now is this a cruel request, but this actually goes against or is opposite a previous command of God. It, it, it doesn't even sound like the character of God. Not only is it cruel, though, not only does it go against the command of God, you also have to think about what God spoke to Abraham. This is your son of promise. He's your future, Abraham. And now you're telling me to put the future on the altar? That's a contradiction, Jesus. So Abraham has been given a cruel confusing and contradictory request. Have you ever been in that position where what God asks you just does not make sense? I don't get it, God. I don't understand. I can't piece this together. This is where Abraham finds himself. But what is his response. This, this is where this gets really good to me because the Bible says that, that Abraham gets up early the next morning. Early the next morning. Now, you could argue maybe he got up so early because if his wife Sarah knew what he was about to do, she would have cut him. And so, and so, and so maybe he, he got up really early and said, we got to get out of the house. I mean, just, mom is going to start tripping. And so, and so maybe you could argue that's what he did, but the problem is that's actually the pattern of Abraham's life. You see, just one chapter before, Abraham is talking to God and God says, listen, I want you to listen to your wife, Sarah, and you're going to have to send your, your other son, Ishmael, and, and his mother, Hagar, away. And Abraham didn't want to do it, but the Bible says the next day, the next day, he sent them away. A couple of chapters before that, in Genesis chapter 17, God comes to Abraham and says, I want to make a covenant with you. And, and guess what the covenant is? It's circumcision. And, and he says, the covenant is going to be circumcision. And, and so Abraham, who is 99 years old, circumcises all the males in his home, not two months from then, not two days from then. He actually does it that day. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have had some problems with that. I mean, major, major problems. Like, are you sure that's what God said? I got to get out of this house, brother. This is not going. I mean, I don't even want to think about a 99-year-old man circumcised. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But, but Abraham does it that day. Because I think Abraham understands something that I heard a pastor say once. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. It, it reminds me of my, my two children. I have 
a daughter who is three years old. Her name is Judah. Uh, she is awesome, but she needs Jesus. And, um, and then I have a one-year-old son named Jaden, and, and I'm pretty sure he's a Christ follower. He's just, he's really sweet. I think he's given his life to Jesus already. And, and, uh, and, and so they're, they're basically polar opposites right now. They really are. Like my daughter, uh, you know, she, she's really smart. She's cute. And, 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 but you say stuff to her like, babe, I want you to go do this. And now she has to have an explanation. Like, why? 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 I mean, you have to explain everything to her. And if she doesn't like the explanation, then she may just run off. Not doing what you said. She just takes, ah, around the house. And then, and then if you explain it and she kind of gets it, but she doesn't want to do it, she just starts jumping up and down. She's like, no, no, no. And that's when my wife and I administer grace and truth, if you know what I mean. Um, but, but she's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. My son, on the other hand, the Christian in our home, he, he you know, I, he's doing something. And, and I just say, Jaden, and I raise an eyebrow, you know. Okay. He bags up, not doing it. I love it. I love it. But here's, here's, here's why I tell you that, because I want my heart to be like that. I want my heart when God speaks that it doesn't have to be a debate, a discussion or deliberation. I just want to say yes and amen. You spoke it. I don't have to delay this. I don't have to run away from this. You don't have to come find me, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. I just want my heart to respond to the voice of God, not with resistance, but obedience. That's what I want. And Abraham gets it, man. He, he's obedient. The Bible says he gets up the next day and he starts walking with his son and his two servants. And theologians believe it, it, it was about a 45-mile trek. And so here is this man who's over 100 years old, walking with his son, walking with the servants. The Bible says they get to the place. He sees it afar off and he knows, okay, this is where the sacrifice has to be made. So Abraham turns to the servants and says, hey, you guys stay here. The boy and I, we're going to go and worship. Worship. Wait a minute. There's no, there's no song mentioned. There's no acoustic guitar. There's no skinny jeans talked about. I mean, it, we're, we're, worship? The reality is, is this is actually the first time worship is mentioned in Scripture. Has nothing to do with music. Has nothing to do with singing. Has everything to do with sacrifice. What is this connection between worship and sacrifice? You see, Abraham says we're going to worship because here's what he understands. Whatever I put on the altar is a statement to God that you are worth more. See, that's what worship is. Worship comes from, from two words, worship. It's about who or what you give value to. And so Abraham says, listen, we're going to go and worship. And so they, they leave, and the Bible says that he, he gives Isaac the wood to carry. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but, but let me just say, if, if that's a, a foreshadow or a type, I, I mean, I, I'm just saying, think about the sacrifice carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed on. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. That you see this, this foreshadow of Jesus carrying his own cross. And you see this foreshadow of God the Father offering his son so that we might have life. So Isaac carries the wood and they make it up 
to the place, the sacrifice. The Bible says that Abraham built this altar. And it says that he, he tied up Isaac. Now, let me just tell you, he didn't tie up Isaac because Isaac was running. He, he tied him up because that was proper protocol. See, Isaac at this time is probably between the ages of 17 and 37. I guarantee you he could outrun his dad. And if it was me, I'm, I'm just saying, honestly, if it was me, we, we finally make it up to the, to the sacrificing place. And I'm with my dad. My dad says, hey, look, uh, got some news to tell you, son. Sure, dad. What's up? Um, you're the sacrifice. Excuse me? Dad, you're over 100 and something years old. Maybe you missed it this time. Are you, are you sure? No, no. God said, you're the sacrifice. Gotcha. I got one more 40-yard dash left in me. I'm out of there. You got to catch me, brother. If you're going to put me on the altar, you got to catch me. Not Isaac. See, the only way Isaac got on that altar is if he chose to. I don't know about you, but, but one of my dearest desires for my kids is that I would raise the type of kid when they have the chance to run and be comfortable that they choose to get on the altar and be like Christ. I, I want to raise the type of children that look like Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that in view of God's mercy, in view of the goodness of God, they, they are willing to offer themselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. That's the kind of kids I want to raise. And Isaac willingly gets on the altar and God... And Abraham takes the knife and he's about to sacrifice his son. And God stops him. Abraham, Abraham. Don't do it. Don't you lay a hand on the boy. And listen to why he said don't do it. He said, now I know that you love me. No, that's, that's not what he said. Now I know that you care about me. No, that's not what he said. He said, now I know that you fear me. Excuse me, this, this whole test is about does Abraham fear God or not? Really? When I, when I talk about the fear of God, I think in our minds we, we, we think about timidity or being scared or afraid. And that's not really what the fear of God is. The fear of God really is an awe. It's, it's a reverence. It is an esteem that says, God, you are number one in my life. You've got the number one place. It's not something that causes us to run away. It's something that causes us to step towards God. I, I think about um, Steve Irwin. You guys remember him, the, the crocodile hunter from back in the day? Bless his heart. Um, you know, I, I remember watching him on television, and, and as I would watch him, he's, he's there, like, on an island with Komodo dragons, and, and I think, like, the Komodo dragon, their saliva is poisonous, and he's, like, in this den with Komodo dragons, and he's talking, he's like, look how beautiful this Komodo dragon is, the saliva's poisonous, and I should be running away, but I'm hanging out because they're so awesome, <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching him. Talk about this animal with such reverence and awe that it does not push him away from the animal. It actually pulls him towards the animal. I think that's God's heart when he talks about the fear. 
I think that he wants us to esteem him in such a way that it does not push us away, but it literally pulls us close. We, we just have to get close to someone so amazing. We have to be near someone so, a beautiful, so beautiful. We have to be next to, just like the psalmist said, oh, just to sit and gaze at your beauty. That is what the fear of the Lord does. So he says to Abraham, now I know that you fear me. And then he goes on to say, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You have not withheld. You see, I, I think that what we choose to withhold from God reveals the God we really worship. What you and I choose to withhold from God simply reveals the God we really worship. For Abraham, Isaac is the promise. Isaac is his future. God says, put your future on the altar. I remember, uh, I guess it was about 11 years ago, I was working for a prison ministry and also coaching high school football uh, when I received the phone call uh, about possibly coming on staff at Gateway to work in children's ministry. And uh, one thing you have to know about me is I never wanted to work for a church. I, I was like, God, I will go to the jungles of Africa before I work for a church. And so uh, the gentleman that called me, I'd known him since I was 13 years old, and, and he talk, starts talking to me about working at the church. And, and uh, I'm sure I told him I would pray about it because that's spiritual, but I knew it wouldn't happen. And there's no way working at a church. And so we, we talked a couple days later, and I told him, I said, no, not working at a church, not, not doing it. And he said, well, why? And so we started to talk about why, and to be candid with you guys, um, I had made some very poor choices in my life in the area of immorality, and I, so I thought, God, one is I feel disqualified, okay? The second part was I had seen church, and I just thought, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And so as we begin to talk a little bit more, he, he challenged me in a way that when I got off the phone with him, I said, okay, Lord. I want what you want. I really do. I want what you want. But if this is you, I need you to speak to me. And so the Lord took me to a scripture in Acts chapter 13. And it is where Paul is talking about David. And he says, and when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, then he fell asleep. When I read that verse, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jelani, this is part of your purpose in your generation. I knew I was supposed to do it. Here's the problem, though. That wasn't in my plans. That wasn't a part of my dream. That wasn't, that wasn't what I had considered the next step looking like for me. And so here I am at this place in my life where, okay, here's Jelani's dreams for his future. And God in that moment is saying, will you give me that? 
tell you one last story. Uh, well, let me say this. Uh, so obviously I said yes because I'm here today. And I will not tell you that it's been easy. But I will tell you that I've discovered some things about myself. And more importantly, discovered things about God I would have never known. You see... The end of the story with Abraham, he, he, he says, the angel says, listen, don't, don't touch your son. And then the Bible says that God actually provided another ram, a sacrifice. And Abraham then gives God a new name. He calls him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But think about this. In Abraham's obedience, Abraham learned something about himself. And in Abraham's obedience, he learned something about the character of God. And what he learned is that on the mountain of the Lord, which means in our obedience, the Lord will provide. Here's a second story, and I'm getting ready to close. So this one is, is more recent, and uh, so I'll, I'll tell you just because it, it, it happened just a couple months ago. But it was December 15th of 2016. I remember it because it was payday. And uh, I woke up that morning and I'm checking my bank account and, uh, and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, will you give me the check? Now, that may not be a big deal to you, but it was a really big deal to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, December 15th was the day that we received our Christmas gift as a part of our check. So it was a larger check than we normally had. Secondly, my wife and I had just closed on our house on December 19th or December 9th, so six days prior to that. Thirdly, uh, we we moved into the home, but in order to do that, we had to break our lease on a rent home. And so what our landlord said is, listen, you can break the lease, but you have to pay rent until somebody moves in. And uh, technically, our, our lease wasn't up until March 10th, and so this was December 15th. So, so I thought it was the devil. And, um, and so I said, you know, I'm going to go talk to my wife because we're going to make decisions in agreement. That's what we do. So I go to my wife and I said, babe, I think, I think God wants us to give the check, you know. And my wife said, uh, she said, are you sure? Are you sure that's God? I like, well, thank you. We're not in agreement, Father. Can't be you. Can't be you. And, and I said, well, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me when I got up this morning, he said, Will you give me the check? And she said, the Holy Spirit asked you to give the check? I said, yeah, I think so. Oh, well, you better give him the check then. You better. And I'm, I'm thinking, you don't even know what's in our bank account. You just say things. You don't know. Man. And so, so I'd love to tell you that, that I did the Abraham response early that day. I'm giving the Lord the check, but that wasn't it. There was a real struggle for me. But finally, I said, okay, Lord, I, I, am, I am going to give you a check. So I gave him the check. Now, here, here's what I'd love to tell you happened, because this is what preachers do. I'd love to tell you uh, that, that as soon as I gave the check, because I thought this would happen in my mind, as soon as I, I gave God the check, um, that the home would automatically lease, right? Um, it leased 
two months later. Hurt my feelings. I, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe it's not going to lease, but I'm going to get an unexpected check in the mail because that's what happened to Pastor Robert, you know? So come on, God. Did not get the unexpected check in the mail. Now, the Lord has provided, but, but listen, none of those things happen the way I thought they would happen. In fact, nothing really happened in the natural. The thing that happened, though, was in my heart. Because after giving the check to God, you realize, again, it's never about the money. It's always about your heart. And so what I was able to say to God after giving him what he asked for, you have no rivals in my heart. You have no equals in my heart. What you ask me for, I will give to you. My question for you tonight is how are you going to respond when God says to you, I want that. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.